And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning and welcome. And welcome. We are just Christians. Christians. We, we really appreciate, appreciate you tuning, tuning in today to the show. We will be on for the next hour here with We Are Just Christians. And we thank you for that. And I, I know that your time is valuable. And we, we appreciate any that you can give us today. Consider a few spiritual thoughts. We, we invite your participation. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. I'm going to give you the numbers and contact info in just a second. But it's a live call-in show. And it's so much better when when we have our listeners participate in the show uh, rather than just us just talking. My name is Mike Schmidt, by the way. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard. Gary Jones is the other host. How you doing, Gary? I'm here He's this the, morning, Mike. Good. He's the other elder, and we've been doing this show for several years to introduce this area and to promote the idea of being just a Christian rather than part of some uh, man-made denomination or tradition or even you know, secular movements is part of being just a Christian as a way of living. It involves all of our life, all the time, in service to Christ. And so we we believe the way to find that is through an understanding and practice of the Bible, of Christian principles found in the New Testament, enlightened by the old. And so we put that all together, and we try to teach people about that. It's not easy to do. We don't claim to be perfect at that. But we invite you along on this journey of understanding spiritual things through the Word of God. So we're going to, when we give an answer, we talk about a subject on this show. What we're trying to do, hope you can see that if you've listened, what we're trying to do is then focus our attention on what the text of the Bible says about it, as much of the text as we can figure out as pertains to any particular subject, not one verse or this verse or that verse and competing verses, but to understand as much of the text as we can that applies to a subject. And then logically apply those to the principles that we're looking at, the things we're discussing. So that's the idea of the show. It, like I said, it involves all of our lives. Being a Christian isn't just about going to church sometimes, although certainly the New Testament teaches that we ought to be worshiping together as a body and group and so forth. But it's about how we live each day, both individually and collectively. And that involves all of our life. So we don't segregate here, and I don't segregate my private life from our preacher, elder life and make some kind of distinction there. Or So we can be one kind of person when we're here at church, another kind of person when we're on the job or somewhere else. That's not how it works. Unfortunately, that's what happens in life, and we have all seen this, but that's not how it's supposed to work. So we invite you along on this exploration of being just a Christian today, and we, you can do that first by giving us a call with whatever is on your mind, however insignificant you may think it is, that doesn't mean it's insignificant. So give us a call, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. You should see Gary, every time I give the phone number, I can see the <laughs> the anticipation I'm going to give you the wrong phone number because I do it so often. But today I got it right, 772-340-1590 is the number to call in the show. Ray there at the station will put you right through to us. We'll have a conversation. There'll be about a one-second delay for legal reasons, but we'll try to not to talk over you, and we'll try to understand each other. And we, we don't want to cut you off. If that happens, it's not our purpose. We want to hear what you have to say. So you can stay on the phone with us and have a conversation, or you can ask your question and, and hang up. That's up to you, but we prefer that you talk with us. The other way to reach us that some people use is by text message, which uh, both of us have a text number. 772-260-6120 is my text number. 772-260-6120 is Mike's text number. You can reach that anytime during the week. I'll be glad to correspond with you. Gary's text number, same thing, 772-260-6220. Very similar. 772-260 is uh, his number. 772-260-6220. I've got about a couple of text messages coming in and got distracted there is Gary's text number. So we'd be glad to correspond to you. All right. Well, we've got um, two two callers on the line, it says here, Gary. Okay. So let's take them in order. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, 
I was wondering uh, uh, about the uh, one uh, Ben Franklin was just starting out in life. His brother uh, gave him a job writing a column in their newspaper in, in Philadelphia. I think it was Philadelphia. And it was called Paul Rushard's Almanac. Uh, Paul Rushard's Almanac. And I wondered if if that column had much uh, religious kind of quotients to it or, or religious content. And uh, I'd like to listen off all month if I'll okay. Okay, yes, that'd be fine. You know, I, it's funny that, that you um, bring up Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Jerry, this morning I was reading an article on Benjamin Franklin uh, just this morning, strangely enough. It isn't exactly about that subject of poor William's almanac, but just his some of his role in the revolution, uh, the American Revolution, and uh, pre, before and after, and some of the things that happened there. As far as I am aware, and I know this is a little bit of a point of debate, Benjamin Franklin considered himself a Christian, but certainly not a practicing, church-going type of Christian like so many other of the colonists and even the founding fathers. He was more, we we would call, a religious man rather than a church-going man, as it were, if we can make those kind of distinctions. In other words, William Benjamin Franklin believed in God, believed in the supreme power of the universe, the creator, and all those kind of things, but he, he didn't believe in all of the doctrines of the Anglican Church or of the Catholic Church the Church of England at that time, as far as I know. So Benjamin Franklin's philosophies, his writings, and I'm sure poor William's almanac all contain a foundational principle, foundational principles and advice given from the standpoint of we being creatures of a divine being and our responsibilities under the moral laws of that being and so forth. So he would that would be more the impression you'd get. And that's true of a lot of the founding fathers. Some people have debated whether they were deists uh, or not. I know uh, that can be a little bit of a technical debate. Uh, and there's different ways to use the word deist uh, in its technical sense. Deism is a philosophy and so forth. And many of the founding fathers probably accepted some of the principles of that. That is that there was a creator who made the world according to natural laws and principles that govern the, the existence of the earth and the planets and all that. And then he kind of, the illustration is he wound it up like a clock. Are, are any of our readers old enough to remember you wound these wind-up alarm clocks? You, know, you wind it up like a clock and sit it down. And he, he's kind of wound up the universe, and this creator just kind of went away. He doesn't interfere anymore with miracles and things like that. Well, 50-something uh, years ago, I had a wind-up wristwatch. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and then they came at Vanshee. They, they wound themselves well, as you moved. You know. Yeah, my father had one of those. Still got that one. But, but the fact is, the, and then, but, but true Christians, according to the Bible, if they believe what the Bible says specifically as a divine revelation, believe that, yes, there was a divine creator and being, and he did create the universe with natural laws and principles that govern both physics, physical things and moral things. But he's not just wound it up and walked away. He's still involved in that in that universe. And occasionally he has intervened in that universe in what we call miracles outside the laws of nature. He's intervened beyond those laws and in control of those laws in miraculous ways. And that he still is concerned about man and we can pray to him and he can respond in providential ways to us. So that that's more what Gary and I believe. A true deist would say that he just wound it up and walked away, and so what we have is a physical universe made by divine laws. A man like Isaac Newton believed in a creator and divine principles and was a theist, but he was not a practicing Christian going to church because he believed that God would answer his prayers and so forth. And I, from my reading, Jerry, I think that Benjamin Franklin was more of that latter type person. And there's a lot of those people around today. Yeah, and they're not strictly atheists at all. Most scientists are not strictly atheists. But they just don't believe God intervenes in a religious way. Yeah, God. There seems to be also a difference between poor William's almanac and the one that Benjamin Franklin wrote was poor Richard's. Almanac. I'm sorry, I got it wrong, didn't I? Yes, thank uh, you. The poor William's almanac was was written by a different person. 
though I think it was, from all I can see here, patterned very closely yes. to what uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote, which was Poor Richards. And um, basically, Franklin first published that around in 1732, pretty early. Yes. Okay. I, I'm, I appreciate that correction. I, I knew I was saying something that wasn't quite right, but I didn't know how to correct it and couldn't didn't stop myself. So uh, that's that's right. There are a couple of those. As a matter of fact, I'm not there are sure a couple of poor Williams Almanac, different authors uh, that I see here. Just at first glance, I haven't. You just looked it up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I. I um, yeah, I'm not sure what Jerry's interest in that subject is, so I don't know whether we've answered the question or not. Uh, but I do, I do think this is – it's ironic because I was going to talk a little bit about something that's tang, tangential to that, to that subject. Maybe we can go in just briefly and then we can go to the phones in a minute. But this basic the, – the problem we, – we talked about abortion last week, and I preached about it last Sunday and intend to do a little more on that today. I, I think uh, that the th- this issue of creation and a creator and the nature of theism that's been brought up by this question on Benjamin Franklin really is at the heart of a lot of the misunderstanding of abortion. Now, when I say misunderstanding here, let, let me make something clear. Gary and I had a discussion way over here in the car about whether people who <laughs> believe certain things are crazy or stupid I don't necessarily go that direction. I just think they're wrong, tragically wrong. Uh, and that's still, so someone that goes out and kills a bunch of people, oh, he's crazy. It's easy to dismiss things like that. I think that person knew what they were doing, and I think that they had a reason for doing it. And I think that they're, they're wrong in their assumptions about that. And people that do other things economically, propose disastrous economic th- plans, for example, I, I don't think they're stupid. I think they're just wrong. And the reason that they're wrong is because the presuppositions behind their belief are incorrect. And so those in, on the abortion in the abortion debate, I think, well, we're not, you know, we're talking past each other sometimes. But the reason we do that is because the, the two there are two basic presuppositions about human beings and about the world that exist in our society, probably have always existed to one degree or another. And they are incompatible with one another. Those two basic belief systems are essentially, especially if you emphasize one very strongly, incompatible. So the person who believes uh, in, in God believes that, that God has a right because he created us to monitor and control. And, and his, his own, God's own character determines the nature of morality. And when he created man in his own image, as the Bible says, he gave man certain rights by that creation itself, among them the right to life, and therefore human beings are limited in what they can do with that life and how they can respond to that, you see. And so life is sacred, according to those who, who believe in a creator God, as I do and Gary does, in the creator God of the Bible. Life is sacred, and it's a very serious thing to talk about taking a life, whether it's born or unborn. And, of course, as we saw in the sermon I preached last week, the Bible makes no distinction between born and unborn life. In the words that are used throughout the text of the Bible, there's no distinction made between a life in the womb and a life outside the womb. That's something that we make, but not the Bible doesn't make that distinction. And so that's, a, that's one way. So when people like that come up to the subject of abortion, they may agree that to let people make a choice sometimes about abortion early on, but they're not going to be cavalier about that. And it's always a very serious matter. And that's why so many people are committed to no abortions at all, at all or other very, otherwise very limited kind of abortions in the case of ectopic pregnancies. Some even allow rape or incest, but, but th- those are fewer. The other side of that coin views, since there is no creator in their view, life is much more about utility. It's about, uh, it's about is life valuable? So they look at it and they say, um, when does life become valuable? I, I argue, when does life begin? Well, we 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 say it begins at conception, so therefore that changes the whole debate. If you accept that life begins at conception, that changes the entire debate that you have. If you say that life doesn't begin until someone is uh, valuable, has a value in life. Well, that's why you have people like some of our prominent politicians, among them Joe Biden and others, 
who say that we can have abortions after birth. They support abortion after a baby is actually out of the womb on the delivery table up to what was it? Two or three hours after that or something. The mother can make a decision. Quite frankly, Mike, I think that's a misnomer. I think that's simply murder. Well, of course, but that's because you have a presupposition that you do. I'm, well, not, no, def- no, I'm no. not defending that. I, I'm saying I, this I is know. why they can – They oh, well, they're crazy. They're not, they have a logical reason for saying that life is not wanted, therefore it's not valuable. Well, it can't support of, that's itself. Well, one of the things they do within the arguments is they change the terms. They like to change definitions of things. And so I'm saying that the reason they change the definition is because their presupposition is right. that there's no creator. Life is not sacred. It's a matter of what you and I choose to do with it. It's our choice. So it's a utilitarian thing. I can decide that my refrigerator is old. I'm going to throw it away or not. That's my choice because of based on its utility to me or usefulness to me, I can throw it away. It's junk or I really like it. And I'm going to keep it. So the same thing they do with that with a refrigerator or or a pocket knife they do with a baby. And they say this life is valuable because I want it, and this life is not valuable because I don't want it, and they believe in throwing it away. And the reason that they can do that seemingly without compunction, although the truth is, the truth is they know in their heart of hearts that that's not true, and they suffer great emotional consequences when they do it. But this is the whole problem. So it's one thing to start off. When, when you start off, as our founding fathers did and people before them, believing in a creator God, then you're going to come up with the idea of inalienable rights. The government doesn't give anybody rights. God gave people rights, and the government shouldn't take them away. Our Constitution simply recognizes that fact and tries to enforce that principle upon people. But that's why you have social studies teachers in our system, the time I was in school, saying that the government grants us rights. And most young people today, when asked, will tell you that the government grants us the rights because they believe that granting rights is just a utilitarian purpose. If the government of communist China thinks it's useful for people to have rights, they will give them to them. When they think it's not useful for people to have rights, they will simply withdraw them. Our Constitution says nothing like that. In many ways, you can substitute freedom for right. Freedom for right. Well, that's the same thing. Righteous is freedom. So I'm just saying that that's the difference in thought processes. And our country is filled with both kinds of people. And that's why we're having struggles over all of these issues from top to bottom. But then again, we've got another caller. Yes. So I I know I got partly off track. We may come back to that. I don't don't promise I'm done with that. So (laughs) let's go back. Ken, are you there on the phone? Yeah, Mike, I'm here. How are you doing? Good, good. What's on your mind? I have a couple things for you. Okay. Uh, first is in Genesis 16, verse 7, and 13 and 14. I think, I don't know if you covered this in your Bible study or not already, uh, but I want to talk about the phrase here, angel of the Lord. Okay. I think we've talked about it a little bit as it's come up in the book. Uh, by the way, he's referring to the fact that in our class on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock here at the building, we're, we're discussing the book of – we're doing the book of Genesis. And some would say we're doing it in real time. So, you know, slowly or over many, over many millennia. <laughs> Just kidding, sort of, sort of kidding. All right, but anyway, um, what – angel of the Lord, all right? What do you want to What do you want to ask about? Say about that. Spoke to Hagar and made promises to her. And uh, two things here. One, this uh, this is the she she promised him. He promised her a son named Ishmael. And this is the first time God has named anybody before they were born. Oh, okay. I I guess I hadn't noticed that part. And the other thing is, she gives God a name. She called in verse 14, no, 13 first, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. And and then she calls him, she names the well after him. 
in verse 14. Bea Lahaya Roe. And Lahaya Roe in Hebrew is he that lives sees me. Yes. No, so I didn't know if you, you mentioned it or not in your study, because I missed that week, I guess. When I, uh, I, I referred to it very briefly, but I didn't go into it very much. You know, this whole subject, this may not be where you want to go, Ken, but it's very prominent in the Old Testament in particular, but in the Bible, of names and naming. And we see it throughout the book of Genesis, where God changed, we're going to talk about this morning a little bit, God changed Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, Sarai's name from Sarai to Sarah. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. And here... Because names mean something. We just make up a name, you know, for our kids. Uh, and they don't mean much. I didn't know, in fact, till recently that William, that great English name, is actually a German name, Wilhelm. Uh, you know, and uh, us Germans tend to dominate everything, of course, as it is. But uh, Well, there's a so, lot of similarity between the English and German language yeah. that and, people and, don't recognize. And we don't even know. I, I'm always telling the clerks I see with their name tags. My wife just kind of rolls her eyes. Oh, did you know your name means their name is Stephanie? And I'll say, oh, did did you know your name means crown? Or do you know your name means see a girl named Sophia? Do you know your name means wisdom? And some of them know. Most do not know. They've never even considered what their name means. And their parents may probably didn't consider it either when they named them. Uh, but the Bible's filled with that kind of thing. So it's important. I, I'm glad you're pointing this out, Ken. It's important that... Uh, we recognize, stop and recognize this, um, this, op, this, what is it, um, phenomenon in the Bible. Uh, if you look at the, and, and I, sometimes the translation will help. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, uh, so the angel of the Lord here, is that Jesus? Um, huh. Well, now that's a loaded question. And I'll answer it this way. In the way that you're asking it, Ken, is this angel of the Lord Jesus? I would say yes in the basic way. But let me explain my answer. I don't believe this mm -hmm. being named Jesus existed as Jesus until he was born from Mary's womb as a human being. Not just a human, but as human being. Right, because he was, not, he was okay. not named Jesus until the angel gave him that name. Just before his birth, but is it the same as where it says in John one and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then this Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Yes, that's I believe this angel of the Lord is that being who we know today as Jesus. It's like me talking about yeah. you know President Reagan being born in Eureka, Illinois, or wherever it was. He wasn't President Reagan when he was born, so I'm using kind of a historical name there. And I think, yes. Yeah. So in that sense, yes, this is Jesus. Now, now I can't – can I, I don't know how I prove that except that I know this. This angel of the Lord seems to be worshipped as deity in the Old Testament. He, he accepts the worship yeah. that people offer him. What's that? I've got evidence for you. Okay, all right, good. I want to hear this. Okay, so first of all, previous to this, uh, it said uh, Lord, the Lord appeared to Abram in a vision. So that was Jehovah, but it appeared to him in a vision, not personally to Abram. And then here, this angel of the Lord is making all kinds of promises to Agar and to her descendants. And I don't see an angel doing that. You, you don't see what? I'm sorry, I missed I the last see An angel having that power. To make well, the promises. Well, unless he's making it in the name of God, right? Yeah, that, could that's be. the point. I, that's it could be I making it in the I name of make. God. But, but I, no, I'm not disputing. I just say I believe that that's who this is. But he isn't called that. Uh, and, and late till later, perhaps. But this angel of the Lord, and when you notice the translations that you, most of the major translations 
capitalize this phrase, angel of the Lord. I think it's the same one that's used later as and the Kings as the captain of the Lord's army. I think it's the book of Kings. I could no, be Joshua. Jo- Joshua. That's right. I knew that was wrong. when I said uh, the captain of the Lord's army. This is more than just an angel. I believe you're correct about that, Ken. Yes. And because angels yeah, do I'm not accept sure. worship, but this being accepts worship. Um, that's the difference. I got another verse for you. All right. Exodus 23. Exodus 23. 20 to 23. All right, let me go over there uh, and find that. I'm having a little trouble with my Bible program this morning. Exodus, what, what was the Exodus 23, verse 23, beginning. No, verses 20 to 23. 20 to 23 in Exodus 23. Okay. So it says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and adversary to thine adversaries. For my angels shall go before me and bring thee into the Amorites and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. So this is Jehovah telling uh, Moses and the Israelites that he's going to send an angel. Are you then going to refer to the fact that that uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that this rock that went before Israel and this cloud was Christ? Well, same idea, yeah. Yeah, I would think that that's – and in referring to these same events, Paul says that 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 one that went before them in the cloud and in protection was Christ. So – and I think that that's right. So that's that's pretty good – that's a pretty good point there. Yeah, verse 21, it says, you obey his voice. And provoke him not, and he will not, for he will not pardon your transgression. Right. So this being has the power here to pardon transgressions or not, right? That right. doesn't sound like an angel to me. Yeah. One, and I'll make one last point. All right. Very good. Very good point. I appreciate and, that. And we're getting back to the name piece. Okay. So this, we already, we already determined that this angel went before them. Into the promised land. Okay. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. Uh, Joshua. There's no J. There's no J in in Hebrew. It's a Y. So Joshua is Yahshua. 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 Yeshua. It's the same name. Yes, I think Joshua and and Jesus and, and Jesus leads the people in the promised land. Okay, so Joshua, Joshua in the Old Testament has the same name as Jesus. Jesus leads us to heaven. I'm sorry, Ken. I, I apologize for stepping on you there. So you're saying, I, and I believe you're correct that the name Joshua in the Old Testament and the name Jesus in the New are, are the same name, and depending on the language, the alphabet J and Y are often interchangeable. They become not as not interchangeable in our English language, but they were back then. And the letter I, I and J and Y all are interchangeable off in different languages, especially ancient languages. And you see that expressed both ways. In Latin, for example, the I and the Y and the J are interchangeable. Anyway, I oh. think that's correct. And so he say you're saying that he he could just as easily say Jesus is the one who led them into the promised land. But now Joshua was the Joshua who's flesh and blood in the book of Joshua as a, as a son of none was not Jesus in the flesh. I don't think he's a type of Jesus. No, but no, and, and he meets with the commander of the army. Basically, he that meets rever- with the real Jesus, yeah, as it were. Yeah, command that reference yeah, yeah, exactly. Mike, is, is Joshua five thirteen through fifteen. 
Joshua 5, 13 through 15 is the reference for that meeting. And he said, and he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. That was the line. Yeah, he's come. So, yes, there, there is a lot of evidence, and we've seen it a little bit in our class on Genesis and more to come. Because I was thinking about this the other day. I needed to compile. I need I was thinking, Ken, I needed to compile a list of all these references in the book of Genesis. That list, that list is out there. Or I could compile my own because it's been studied by for a long time of all these cases where the angel of the Lord or apparently Jesus. In fact, as I mentioned before, I don't know if it's on the radio. I know I mentioned in my class. I think this fellow named Hingstenberg, and I forgot his first name, an old German scholar, Hingstenberg, wrote a book called uh, about called Jesus in Genesis or something like that. And there's been commentaries written on Jesus in Genesis. Um, yeah, and it's so in there a lot. What's that? It's in there a lot. It's in there a lot. Exactly right. And so what what I think, you know, is a fundamental uh, we, we can't I don't know what to make of all of this. The thing that I make of it as far as what it means, perhaps to me, is that the story of the Bible is not a disjointed story, unconnected throughout through these different cultures and people just kind of made it all up. I, there is a unity in this whole unfolding across time and culture. There's a unity in the scriptural story from Genesis to Revelation uh, of, of this plot of man's sin and the salvation of man. And then and the unfolding of this history, as is told in the Old Testament, has a purpose, which is to lead us to Christ. And he's and in so doing, he's visible in this story. The book of First Corinthians, chapter 10, makes this clear that this that there was Jesus who was leading them through the wilderness. And they were all baptized, you see, in the waters of the Red Sea as they came out of Egypt, out of that bondage into a new life in parallel to us being baptized from our life of sin into Christ. I mean, this whole parallel, all of it is a symbol. It's all shown to be one story, as disconnected as it might be and across so many languages and cultures. It's one story. And that's one of the main things that I make of this. From the beginning, God intended to save man. He set out to do it. He planned it out. He took it. It took time. But that was his purpose. What, what point do you make of it, Ken? Well, I'll leave you with just two two final thoughts here. Okay. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, you believe in Moses, Moses spoke of me. Yes. And then he told Pilate he came to bear witness to the truth. That's when Pilate said, what is... In John 1.18, it says, Jesus came to... A witness to 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 reveal uh, the Father, right? And in the Old Testament as well in the as well as the New. Yes, and that's that's part of what I'm saying. I mean, that's uh, that's exactly right. It's it's a uh, it is part of the story. There's a witness from one to the other. Moses was put here as well as Joshua to bear witness of God's intention to save man through this man that we know later as Jesus, who was God's son. Now, when I say Jesus was a man, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he was just a human, but he was human. And that's a point that the false teachers of, of the New Testament wouldn't understand, and of the second and third centuries, the Gnostics, that Jesus was human as well as divine. That's hard to explain, but that's what the Bible says about Jesus. He was human. He took on flesh and blood. Hebrews is very clear about this, so is the book of Matthew, but he was also divine, and um, he, he existed before he was in, enshrined in flesh as a human. He existed before that time as the word or the angel of the Lord or the captain of the Lord's army and so forth. He existed before that. In fact, one of the things we're going to probably look at in our class this morning, if we can get there, is Abraham meeting those three men at the door of his tent when they came to talk to him, make a promise to him and talk to him about destroying Sodom, one of those men was this Hello. very being. One of those is Jesus, too. 
Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it's treated as such. Uh, that's another instance of where it is. And this being says, I can't hide what I'm going to do from Abraham. Sodom and the Lord stayed with Abram. Abraham. Right. Right. So he told him there what he was going to do. And that's when Abraham says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, who is the judge of all the earth? Interestingly enough, the New Testament, Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Gary's quoting the passage every and he hasn't done today yet, but we will right now. John 12, 48, that Jesus, Jesus says, my words will judge you in the last day. So you can make the argument from that, even by implication, that Jesus is the judge of all the earth, as well as Jehovah. They're together. They're not separated in some intrinsic way that makes them two, two beings that don't agree with each other and each have their own mind about things. That's how we look at it. But that's not the kind of separation there is between father and son or between the word and the father and Jehovah. Well, he says all authority has been granted to me. It's and obvious. Was, and know, it, basically, he's been given the authority to judge the earth. And here's the other mystery that we can talk about forever. It's obvious in these passages in the book of Genesis that Ken is bringing up that the that Jehovah, Yahweh, is separate from this angel of the Lord. They're not exactly the same, although they are in total agreement and they are one. They are not exactly the same. So there is this difference. Yeah, right. Well, there's one, one point I'd like to make aside. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, one of the verses I read, the Exodus 23, verse yeah. 20, it said his name is in him. It's in him. You're yeah. right. Oh, I am is in Jehovah. Right. Yes. Well, uh, that's that's right. I, I but am is in the word Jehovah. They are, they are to, their name is the same or hooked together. And the word name means authority or identity. Mm -hmm. We might call it identity. Hooked in together. Um, it's somewhat complex, but it's certainly uh, something that we can grasp. And I think it's something that goes throughout the whole Bible. Uh, it's, it's an issue. But now the issue of what's often called the Trinity, I don't call it that except by accommodation, is one that's been debated for centuries upon centuries. But it's all through the Bible in one way or another. You have to acknowledge that something is there, whether we understand all about it or not. I and can explain everything about it. I, I can't say that. The only explanation that's correct is the one that I have, of course, naturally. I'm saying that with tongue in cheek. But it certainly exists as the problem, as a problem that must be understood. And we see it right here in the first book of the Bible, as you brought out, Ken. Do you want to add any more to this discussion? Yeah, I'll I, I just say I one, one other thing here. Um, when, they, when Jesus said, I am, and they took, up, they took up stones to stone him, he said in Hebrew, yad hey. And they knew what that meant. Those two words of God, hey, Bob, hey. Those right. two I am. Well, that's why when he asked him, are you the son of God? He said, I am. Uh, he, he was saying yes. You see, this is this is an, a statement that's often made by people, I think, because they don't know or maybe they don't want to know, but they don't know the words or the they don't know the way people communicated sometimes is that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. That, that's simply not true. He did claim it. He claimed it in a way that the people that heard him on those days, days knew it. And the more we know about the Old Testament statements about this creature here, this being, not creature, but this being here, we understand that. Jesus did claim to be God's Son. More than once. More than once. And, he, and, they un, and I can tell you that that's true by the way that they reacted. If if he was saying that he's not the son of God, why in the world would they pick up stones to stone him? And they said a couple different times that he made himself out to be God. They understood exactly what he was saying. It's us that don't get it because of our ignorance of the Old Testament, partly. Do you think that's correct, Ken? Yes. Yeah, they, they're the ones. They got it. We don't get it. 
because we would be more direct. They were people of that culture were often indirect in the way they said things. And Jesus was often direct, but sometimes he was indirect in the way that he said things. Uh, we would simply say, I would like this, and, and, and they would go about saying they would, they would like something of ours very much more indirectly. And I think that that still creates problems in dealing with people, even from that part of the world today. Americans are much more direct about the, what they say. And so we're expecting that he's going to communicate to us like an American in the Bible, sort of reading it in its own context. Anyway, uh, I'm off the subject, but, but I there, pre- appreciate you bringing this up. What are you going to say, Gary? You want I, to I'm just going to suggest we, we've, we've read about these subjects in the Old Testament. And the book of Revelation, people just, I don't know, there's, there's so much misunderstanding about it. But I want to point out one thing about this, this, uh, this, what we, the, the appearance of this being in Joshua 5. Uh, and he says, uh, and so he said, no, but, uh, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. When he discusses this with Joshua, who he is, basically Joshua wants to know, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he tells him who he is, and yet we can go back to, this helps us understand basically what we're talking about in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, beginning in chapter, in verse 11. It says, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Yeah, it's the same figure, same same, same uh, uh, picture for us. Right. Where, where does the commander of an army go? He goes right in front of the army. Right. And, of course, we know the Word of God. We know the phrase of the Word of God from the Gospel of John. But... We see these things tied together, uh, and if we understood Old Testament language, we would have a much, much better understanding of the book of Revelation. Right, and there have been books written on that. I think Farrell Jenkins, one of my professors uh, at college, wrote a book on on the figures, as many of the figures. Of, yeah, it was called from, The Old Testament in, in, the, book of Re- in the Book of Revelation. Yes, and it's not a big book, but it's very useful to get you started on this uh, and it's not a complex book, but get you started in thinking about how to understand the book of Revelation rather than just make up your own. What people do today, Gary, the premillennialists, is make up their own definitions of right. these figures. They just pull it's, off the wall, whatever they, the language. Whatever they think the figure means rather than going back to the Old Testament to see this is what he's referring to. And this is the same, at least this has the same kind of meaning in the Old Testament right. and so forth. Like. Uh, you know, lightning and, and, and thunder and what does that what does that mean? All those kind of things. All right. Um, anything else, Ken, before we move on here? No, I got to go pick up my uh, guest. I got to pick up. Sure. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for calling in. I do appreciate Ken uh, doing a little commercial for our Bible class, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and we would like to invite everyone to come. We, we do have we have two different Bible classes, public Bible classes during the week. Right now, we've had more in the past, but we have two right now. One is about starts about 10 minutes after 10 on Sunday mornings because we've got to hang up from the show and walk out the door and go right over there in 15, 15 feet away and get set up to teach the Bible study. Uh, on 10, it starts about 10 minutes after 10, last till about quarter to 11 on Sunday mornings, and we're discussing the book of Revelation. So it's an open Bible class. You can come. Bring your Bible. We'll put the verse up on the screen. We, we, you can ask it whatever questions you want, make whatever comments you want, and so forth. The children, uh, the young people, have their own classes at that time on various subjects uh, taught in other rooms, but those are, that's for the adults. And then at 7.30 on Wednesday evenings, we also meet again as a group, and uh, Gary's teaching, in fact, a class on the book of John on Wednesday nights. Uh, and so it's... Loosely on John. Well, yes, he's... he's uh, He's a, he's teaching it as a, with John as the basis. I think he started out more of a, a text thing on John, but Gary Gary's uh, branching out in that and, and taking the principles found in John, going different places in the Bible. So once again, you're welcome to come to that class and uh, add your comment comments or ask your questions about it. 
And it's the kind of class, from what I can tell from some of the people that visit from the community, that they're just not used to having where anybody can can react. And it's not such as it's not scholarly, but it's also, though, textual based on the text of the Bible, not some denominational workbook. And you can follow along and learn and learn what the Bible says about different things. And you'll get to meet some other Bible students here at that time. So that's 10, 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and at uh, 7.30 on Wednesday nights. Uh, and you're also welcome, of course, to stay on Sunday mornings. At 11, we begin our regular worship where we have singing, prayer, communion, the Lord's Supper. And then I preach a sermon, 30 to 40 minute sermon or so. M- more close, clo- I'm going to be honest, closer to 40 than 30 minute sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so in any event, that's on Sunday mornings. And you're welcome, of course, to stay and enjoy our public worship and worship with us. That's that's at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And we meet at uh, the address for the building, if you want to come by, is 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. Uh, Gary, that's, uh, you know, at the corner, if I tell if I'm right, at the, nor- at the, at the uh, southwest corner of savona and california almost almost well there's a there's a little shopping center with the milk and things and a daycare center on the corner of california and savona we're just south of that the first property south of that is where we are it's cata corner to the uh the school the school not um, i keep wanting to say hidden oaks that's wrong oak hammock yeah school it's cata corner to that so we'd be glad to have you. As I say, it's just a, it's just ordinary people who are Christians, and and who uh, are are trying to follow the the scriptures instead of denominational traditions. This church is independent in the sense that we don't have any connection with some national or international organizations. Uh, they're not funding us with money. We're not sending our money somewhere else. We spend it to do with the work we can in this community to teach the gospel and and so forth. Take care of those among us who are needy. That's what this church, in other words, it's patterned as close as we can to a New Testament church, which before in denominations existed. And before there were these central organizations where people could funnel off things for their cause and their and their uh, their uh, their own interests. Yeah. And we're not a mega church in the sense that we have some celebrity pastor here. Gary and I are the pastors together. And I'm the preacher, and, and most do most of the teaching, but certainly not all. And so it's more patterned after a New Testament church, which it makes it odd to a lot of people here. I must confess, it makes it an odd arrangement to a lot of people. But we just invite you to take a look at what the scriptures say a church should be like, and see if you think it's patterned that way or not. Well, the only the only thing that we have in common with other groups that call themselves Church of Christ is is to the degree that they're all based upon the scripture. Yes, I think a lot of those kind of churches, you'll find places to call themselves a Church of Christ, even this area. Some of them are following the Bible more, more closely than others, in my opinion. Uh, and that's the, they, have a, they probably have a, a stated desire to do that. The question is always, you know, how are you, how are you doing in how that you regard? Do it? But uh, some of them have more, more, more national uh, connections, and they're hooked together in various official ways, which we're not. But that's, that's how that works one of the deficiencies that we see played out has been played out in recent times and it touches on a lot of other issues is this pastor system in denomination of course the catholic church has completely early on abandoned uh, the idea of the, the bible organization for the church paul said in acts chapter 20 he warned those elders at ephesus in Acts 20, that from from among their uh, them, their own selves, from among the elders themselves, men would arise speaking perverse things and drawing away disciples after themselves. We see historically in the in the 200s, 300s, 400s, this is exactly what was going on. And men began to men men began to elevate one office over another. They made elders subordinate to bishops and bishops subordinate to archbishops and so forth. When the Bible speaks of none of that kind of segregation, not, none of that kind of differentiation, elders, pastors, and bishops are all the same office. And evangelists is another work that's done by men who are not qualified partic- necessarily to be elders, pastors, or bishops. 
But they want the, they want the hierarchy. They want the glory. They want the power. And so then you got a chief elder in a church, and then then an archbishop over other churches, and so forth. And these are all extra biblical ideas that are not contained in the scriptures. And we see even today, even in conservative kind, from our viewpoint, conservative kind of denominations like First Baptist or Southern Baptist. You see this pastor system where there's one pastor in a church, and he's kind of the boss of the church, and, and depending on the on that church and how they rule themselves, he pretty much t- uh, takes on the responsibility of hiring and firing and what gets taught, and he's the he becomes a celebrity that everybody has to look up to and do what the pastor says. Now, that varies from group to group, but this idea of one pastor in a church is not a biblical idea. When the Bible speaks of these men as in a church, it always speaks them in the plural, or to anoint elders in churches. There's much the same principle behind what we see in our government. Our government does not place all of its power in one place, in either a group of men or a single man. We can can see the wisdom in that. And we can see the wisdom in that. We have a uh, House of Representatives, we have a Senate, we have a President, we have a a court of judges, and it's, all of those have a place within that power. What, what the things that's just so, and you're right about that, and the thing that's so disturbing to me, having having done this my whole life, and I'm basically 70 years old now, I've done it since I was 20 years old, is that it, it ends up, Gary, so easily abused. So much of the sexual abuse that you find in these conservative churches is found in the churches where the pastor is considered to be God's spokesman, and he has ultimate authority over people and things. And people, not only because he takes it, but because the people invest that authority in him. This is why, for example, Gary and I don't wear titles. I am not uh, Reverend So-and-So here. We don't go by pastors as titles because that elevates one person above another and there's no indication of any humans wearing titles with God's approval. Jesus says, don't call any man your father on the earth. In other words, he was trying to say that we should not elevate one above another, even though pastors have should have the authority that comes with respect because of the work they do and because of, of God's appointment. They certainly don't have ultimate authority. But when you see these churches and they parade around here, and they talk about my church and my ministry, and they're the elevated. And the first thing that goes on the side of the church bus is the pastor's name and picture. Did you ever notice that, Gary? Yeah. They got a name of a church. The first thing that goes on there and the first thing that goes on the sign out front of the church is the quote-unquote bishop's or pastor's name and picture. So you know who's in charge and who's the celebrity. And, the real and people problem. flock around that. It isn't just yeah. him doing it. People flock around it and lift him up. And the and problem this is, is not good. The problem is there is no one there to act as a check upon whether no. he's doing what he should be doing. And, and and the women and he ends up with power over the women of the church and the girls of the church and other men. And it's a very, very destructive kind of system that the devil can take advantage of. Should not be Paul, that way. Yeah, Paul says in Galatians one, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who troubled you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so I now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what we have pre- you have received, let him be accursed. For I do not persuade men or God. For now, for do I now persuade men or God? I'll, I'll get it right in a minute. Or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the go. That's 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 a, that's a long way of saying basically John twelve forty eight, and Jesus saying the word that I've spoken will judge you in the last day. Right. Th- these are claims that the Bible makes. You've got to make up your mind if this claim is right, 
There is only one gospel. It was delivered by Paul and the apostles through the letters, through the, through the words of Jesus, and basically that's what we need to hold to. And we, and, need, and we, we need cannot, to understand our place in this. Process. Right. We cannot use it to, pers- to please men. He says, for if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The minute we change those things to please men, we have ceased to be servants of Christ. Yes. Sorry. I, I, just, I agree. That's right. And, and this, is, this is the problem why things go awry so much. And it's the reason why there are so many of you that might even be listening to the show today who become so disenchanted with religion and with churches because you've seen this kind of pompous abuse of power and the damage it does to people and and somehow you've been taught to equate that with the gospel of christ this is not the gospel that's not how god designed churches to be and he puts some he puts restrictions upon these pastors and uh, this whole system should be changed we talk about that quite a bit here frequently because of the damage that it's done and so in any event, um, that's another thought. We've got a couple of minutes left here, two or three minutes left. We had a text that I, I guess I kind of overlooked, Gary, going backwards a little bit. I don't know if we can cover it. but we Maybe we dedicate a show to text. We should. Well, out. we should. But this one's about Jesus. Uh, Paul hinting that perhaps Jesus was an angel, gives a couple of references and so forth. And we're, We might have to come back to that one. Uh, John te- checks in. I'm sorry, John, I missed that. I had my phone set where it wouldn't be too loud, and I missed the text. So um, in any event, um, we'll try to get to that, and whether whether Paul thought Jesus was an angel, was Jesus an angel, and all that kind of thing, uh, we should. It kind of touched on what Ken was talking about, the angel, the name of the Lord, and so forth. But but this this issue of what New Testament churches should be like um, is is an important one. Uh, there's this big debate in these churches and these church leader websites about, you know, whether women can be appointed as pastors and so forth, or the pastor of a church. Big debate whether this Rick Warren, who is uh, wrote that Purpose Driven Life out in California, big mega church in California, uh, they their church recently appointed two women as pastors out there, and yet they claim to be Southern Baptists. Got a bunch of the other Southern Baptists all riled up. And the claim of that church, Gary, is interesting. They say, well, they're not really teaching pastors. They're just ministering pastors. What does that mean? Well, I, that's a good question. There's no dis- See, once again, how would you and I answer the question of what's a pastor? Well, one of the well qualifi- we'd go read the qualifications. And read one of the, the qualifications is apt to teach. Apt to teach, that's right. And the husband of one wife is one of the first ones it mentions. How can these women be the husband of one wife? And so forth. So there's this whole big debate about it. But so they've they've made this unbiblical distinction between different kinds of pastors. Well, there are churches of Christ in this area. I believe I believe they're still in this area. They still teach this. When you get a letter from them on the letter, it'll say uh, head pastor or, or lead pastor for the month of July. They're they're coming at it easy. Other churches just say you know chief pastor, presiding elder. They'll say. The presiding elder. Where in the authority in the scriptures do we have? Where, what authority do we have for have a presiding elder over this church or any other church? We don't. So that's the problem. And you've got churches of Christ who are doing the same thing. We're as much against that as we are some other denomination doing what they want to do, making these distinctions where the Bible makes none. And, and so there's this big debate in the Baptist churches about whether Rick Warren is really a Southern Baptist because he has pa- women pastors. Well, I'd say he's certainly not biblical. I could care less if he's a Southern Baptist or not. He, he certainly isn't doing what the Bible says to be uh, and so forth. Well, anyway, we need to have – that's another whole subject, I suppose. Uh, I think we're down to about, we're a, about minute. a minute left, right? So uh, that's, let's, that's, that's what I'm showing. Let me, let me summarize again some things that we all want, to, want people to remember. Thank you for listening today to the show. Hope you can tune in again each week. This show is available on your app, elect, uh, on the WPSL website. Or you can go to it by Alexa and by Google. In fact, we had one of our folks who regularly listens move away to Vero Beach and can't get it on the radio station. He was listening over the app. We're really grateful for that. Let your friends know about it. Come and visit us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd be glad to have you visit with us. 
2196 Southwest Savona at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday nights, 10 and 11 today. And we hope that you'll take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again next week, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL.